Miller. On this week's episode of Tiger Turf Talk, we host the field superintendent at Gillette Stadium in Foxborough, Massachusetts, Mr. Ryan Bajorn. It was probably the most exciting episode of Tiger Turf Talk we have ever had as we were able to do it on site with Ryan up in Foxborough. Uh, it was truly an honor to be able to take a tour right before the podcast, be able to see everything that's going on, the incredible work that he's doing the incredible work of his staff uh, and just be able to see what is truly a state-of-the-art facility for not just the Patriots but the revolution. Um, we get into how incredible that facility is uh, talking about their new heating system that truly is an absolute game changer for anyone who's looking to grow grass in the northern part of the United States um, and it's just it was truly an, a privilege to take the time with Ryan and get to know him and see everything he has going on. And I truly cannot thank him enough for allowing us to record on site and to go through so many things just so that we had a phenomenal time. And I really cannot thank him enough for that. Um, and we got into what everyone's super excited about, you know, talking about the FIFA World Cup in 2026, uh, Gillette Stadium being one of the sites. And uh, it was just awesome to hear the excitement he has for what's going to be truly uh, a monumental event in the history of American sports. So it was just one of the best experiences we've had. Um, and I cannot thank you enough, Ryan, for taking the time with us uh, on site there up in Foxborough and for having us on your facility. And truly, it means the world to me. Um, and it really made for such an incredible episode on so many incredible things. Um, that you have going on, and I can't thank you enough. Um, we hope you enjoy this episode of Tiger Turf Talk. Good morning from uh, New England, Massachusetts at Gillette Stadium. This is a very special episode of Tiger Turf Talk live on site here in New England. Uh, we are here with the field superintendent at Gillette Stadium, as well as the manager for the training facility for the Revolution and the New England Patriots, Mr. Ryan, Ryan Bajorn. How are you doing it. this morning? I did it finally, did right? Yeah, <laughs> it only took forever to figure out how to do it right, right? It's a lot of work. Yeah. <laughs> uh how are you doing today how's Excellent. everything you just sort of did a uh, facility tour and everything everything is beautiful um and it's just incredible to see what you have going on here uh from the stadium to the facilities you were just talking about phrase mowing and everything what have you guys been up to the last few weeks sort of beginning of the summer heading into pre uh, prepping for otas and all the different things going on with the patriots and obviously the revolution which is the hidden gem of what you have here, honestly. I like that. I think they'll they'll appreciate that too. Yeah, it's, it's been a it's been a busy spring for sure. I mean, we're um, almost all the way through June now, and we've you know we're done with OTAs with football. We're right in the thick of things with the MLS season. So um, that started for us. MLS season started for us earlier than it ever has. We were out there uh, second week of January on the grass field. So we have one of the one of the training fields for the revolution has a full hydronic heating system. And, you know, we were out there second, third week in January, getting that ready for them. And um, that was as football season was ending for us. So this is our first year with um, 
legitimately no offseason. Sort of a nonstop. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> the, one rate the, oh, one. we did it. No, we didn't. We got we to go back out there. Yeah. Okay, let's yeah. do it. <laughs> so it's, we went from that into, um, you know, football season ended and trying to get those fields put to bed in, in January and early February. And, um, you know, we've, we've had some, some renovation projects on the, on the football fields as well. So, um, you know, kind of getting that project started on the lower football field and getting that completed so that the team could go down there and um, allow us to start our smaller renovation on the upper fields, which is the, the phrase mowing that you talked about. Yeah, yeah. And so we're about two weeks off the phrase mow on the upper fields and about six weeks off the uh, finishing the renovation on the lower field. And we've got, um, looking at my watch, we've got about four weeks until training camp starts. So. <laughs> Gotta love that. Yeah. That's, it's always the the antsy part of the year is getting ready for when everybody's there, you know. Uh back when again when I was with the Steelers, we were talking about earlier. It's just okay, what's that? We gotta have this ready. Okay, people need this. And like you said, we were walking out here and there's people going out on the field to practice. Yep. It's it's a nonstop uh sort of teeter-totter of life of football, I guess is the right term for it. It is, yeah. And it, it's hard, like you said. I mean, you know, we're the team's technically not here this week, but you know, we've got anywhere from six to, you know, a baker's dozen of football players that are out there every day, they're doing rehab or conditioning and, you know, on an off day, or even when the MLS team is gone, they leave behind uh, non-traveling players that are going to train. So even though we may look at this, the calendar and see a couple off days, and that's when we get excited because that's when we can get to work. Mm -hmm, yeah. Um, we still have to make sure that we're communicating with both teams to know exactly is there going to be anyone out there? When are they going to be out there? How is that going to affect our plans moving forward? And then, um, you know, everything we've talked about so far is all practice fields. And we're sitting here in the stadium and looking at, um, you know, a full graduation setup on the field. So we've got flooring and red carpet over a third of the field, big stage out there. And that'll be out here for uh, tonight's ceremonies, tomorrow's ceremonies. And then they'll floor the rest of the you know, They'll get rid of the stage and the chairs. They'll floor the rest of the field and start loading in for dead and co, which is, next weekend. So we got, um, got our hands full. It's a nonstop facility for sure. Yep. Uh, and you were talking about the big project going on. That's again, I'm just still trying to comprehend over <laughs> here. Uh, cause again, you already have a massive board, but, uh, yep. that's, that's incredible to hear about and, uh, everything that goes into it, you know, um, something you were talking about with the revolution, you guys just put in a new facility back in 2020. Um, and, what was sort of the vision sort of, again, obviously a lot of the stadiums in the country are starting to do the sort of half and half. Uh, we've talked to Dana Lizito with Charlotte FC and uh, I know there's a couple teams in New York that are starting to do that. What was sort of the, sort of the vision for that facility sort of going up um, and you talked about, and again, it's incredible to see the the heating system and the way you explained everything and how it's not solely dependent on one thing and it's got backups on everything because again, if you lose something like that in the winter of New England, it's never really going to come back, right? It's definitely difficult to, to come <laughs> so back, for sure. How how is that and sort of like the idea of your side being put into again what the facility is gorgeous, uh, not including the fields, obviously. Obviously, that's amazing, mm -hmm. but the 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 locker rooms and everything they have up there, yeah. uh, facility wise, what was sort of your input in the sense of this is what we need. Uh, and you said there was like sort of we had a field that you went past first that was there before mm -hmm. before they came in with the new revolutions uh, facility. How was that sort of for you getting it set up and to the point where, again, it is phenomenal and beautiful up there? 
I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, so I'll, I'll try and do a quick like synopsis. Yeah. Of, yeah. Of, sounds good. From like, I think I was trying to do that yeah. sort of <laughs> was like, I didn't mean to. There, there's a lot, there's been a lot of things that have happened. So way back in 2000, 2001, when the stadium opened, um, they built two practice fields for the football team at that point. Um, Dennis Brolin at that point was a field superintendent. Um, and he was here until I want to say 2006 or 2007. Um, and in, in that time, they built another, um, field in that same vicinity, which is our, our lower football field now, um, that that was built as the revolutions training field. So that's when the revolution started and that's when they started sharing the stadium field for games. Um, so from 2000, uh, I want to say 2002 or 2003, all the way up to 2013 or 14, um, that, that field got used from, you know, soccer team came in in March, their season ended in September, or October. And then as soon as that happened, the football team went down there and used it in the later part of the year as well. So it, it was almost a 12 month a year field. Um, in 2013 or 14, they built a singular training field for that was dedicated for the revolution. Um, I was still on property, but a little bit uh, set back from, from everything else is kind of anyone familiar with the facility. It's kind of out back behind Trader Joe's and Bass Bro shops um, <laughs> built on an old boat parking nice. uh, uh, parking lot for the Bass Pro shops that was there. Um, and so then the revolution had their own field and the Patriots took control of all three of the practice fields that are directly out the back of the stadium. Um, they did that as kind of phase one of a, of a two or three phase project. And phase two was completing a brand new training center uh, for the first team. So when they did that, they started construction probably 2018, maybe 2017 uh, on the building itself and two fields that are um, attached to the facility. So in September of 2019, the building opened uh, the lower um, the lower floor of the building holds the marketing, ticketing, you know, kind of the front office staff. Uh, the other half of the lower floor holds the second team facility, so the Revolution Two, um, and then the upper floor is completely dedicated to the first team. So owner, um, team president, uh, coaching offices, locker rooms, training rooms, barber shop, boot room, hot tubs, cold tubs, cafeteria, pretty much anything you need to run a first class. Love the barbershop thrown. Um, in yeah, there. <laughs> I haven't. You know, clearly I haven't been in there. Say they uh, let you use yeah. it, right? Uh, but so trim, they, they have trim a, the beard up. You know, that's yeah. where the beard. Is. Exactly. Is, by the way, best beard we've had on the podcast. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. yeah that's that's a, that's a lot to love. Too, so. uh, but yeah, so they opened the building in, in September of 2019. We installed the first field. So I started here in August of 2019. Yeah. Um, right before we started sodding the first of the two fields, um, we saw the one field and had it ready to go in September in anticipation that the team would move up to that facility while they were happened to be in the run of their, their first, the middle of their first playoff run in seven or eight seasons. Yeah. And as we know, athletes can be somewhat superstitious. So they decided to stay on the <laughs> auxiliary fields for the rest of the year and ended up not using the new fields until 2020. Yeah. Um, and the reason we didn't saw them both at the same time is, as you mentioned before, we had the heating system on the second field. Um, we were installing that after we did the sod and, ended up sodding that heated field in, in 2000, December of 2019, January of 2020. And we finally got, we had all the pipes, everything, glycol and everything was installed and stubbed it all out. And we got the building built in 2020. Um, obviously COVID slowed down a lot of projects. That was yeah. one of them. <laughs> and we were able to get the, the boilers and, and pump system uh, all designed with sub air 
um, installed in Christmas Eve of 2021. So six months ago or so, yeah, yeah. Uh, fired the heating system up and went from, you know, 44 degree soil temperatures all the way up to 60 in a matter of four days. And we were uh, using growth blankets and, and mowing and having the field ready for the guys two weeks later. That's incredible. Yeah. That's crazy. Again, four days that I was like, whoa, that's, that's fast turnaround for stuff like that. Yeah, for sure. Really impressed with the system so far. Yeah, for sure. Um, now the exciting news that everybody's heard about is the world cup coming up here. You know, I did hear about that. Yeah, You might have just, yeah. a little- <laughs> uh, what was that sort of like getting that news being one of the sites? I mean, obviously this is such a, an incredible stadium and everything. Um, what was sort of that process sort of like, I mean, being a part of it and seeing how it came to fruition and obviously you have a little time to plan, but at the same time, it's still, it's incredible to see again, uh, a facility being again, selected, uh, I think it was like 30 fields. Uh, there, there were a lot of sites that initially yeah. put in bids. Um, yeah. So that, to be selective. What was that sort of yeah. like for you guys? Because I'm sure you had to do a lot of work for it. It was extremely exciting. And and I say I came into the facility in 2019 and they had been working. I think the first meeting they had about World Cup 2026 was back in 2017. Um, that's when the initial, I think, uh, kind of exploratory committee from FIFA came over. And that's when they started looking at potential host sites and they put in a RFP request for proposals for, for all the different sites. And this incredible group here at Gillette, and whether parts of ownership and our events team put together an, an awesome bid uh, over the next three or four years. And we had site visits last year with FIFA um, explaining all, you know, what we could provide and how we can um, be a good host. And uh, what I think a lot of people don't realize too with the World Cup event is how you know, obviously the stadium is important. Yeah. The field is paramount. Um, they they make a big point to say that, but so much more goes into that bid with the host city than yeah. uh, than I realized. With like the infrastructure, the what's infrastructure, able to do stuff, yeah. how can you, how many people can you host? Certain right. things like that. And we're a little different because here in Foxborough, we're you know twenty miles from the city of Boston, and it's not a hard drive. But anybody who's been to a game here. Uh, knows that traffic in and out can be difficult sometimes. Yeah. So figuring out the logistics of how we're going to get fans in and out of the city and because you have to have a fan fest, which is, I, I want, I might mess this up, but I want to say it has to host on the order of 30,000 people over the span of 30 days. Normal stuff. Yeah, Normal no big stuff. deal. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it also happens to coincide with, uh, so it's like mid-June to mid-July timeframe. July 4th falls right in the middle of that. Yeah. Well, Boston's a pretty historic city when it comes to the July 4th, 4th of July. Yeah, just 2006, yeah, no. <laughs> 250 year anniversary of 1776. Yeah. So it's going to be a massive celebration. That's yeah, there. for we're, sure. We're really excited about it. And the actual selection process, you know, we, I had no idea. Um, you know, I don't know who in our organization actually knew before that selection show came out. Yeah. But I literally was sitting on my couch and I, was excited and I ended up being significantly more nervous than I thought I would. I was by the end of it. And of course they did West first, then central. And then East was last. <laughs> they were like, guess and, what, Brian, you get to wait. Yeah. And, and so, you know, I'm sitting there on my couch and my wife's working from home, yeah. sitting on a computer and I'm just like sweating bullets. And <laughs> I ended up like being really nervous about it. And once they announced Boston, you know, it was just, it, it's great. We're so excited. And, um, you know, obviously the, the question a lot of people ask me specifically, because they know how much I love grass is, you know, 
the huge part of that is we're going to have grass back in the stadium for that event. And I can't, yeah. I can't wait for that. Now with that, if you were talking a little bit down there, what are you looking at stadium wise for you when the install happens, how mm-hmm. wide does it have to be? Are you within FIFA standards right now where you're at? So our, our, sorry, sorry. I didn't know. Is that a question I should be asking? Yeah, okay, that's, okay. That's, <laughs> I was just, um, our playing surface itself, like the field of play is almost exactly what FIFA requires okay. for the size of the field. Gotcha. It's all the auxiliary space. That's yeah. 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 For us, Which so. I'm sure the, a lot of places in the right. US, not just here, have a lot of things to deal with to get right. prepared for that. Do you know what you guys are doing for the auxiliary space? We, we have some idea, but we're, you know, we've got month, uh, plenty of meetings coming up over the next few months to figure out exactly what needs to be done. We're, we're expecting to have to expand some areas into the corners. Um, and then, you know, we'll figure out exactly what needs to be done. But now is it going to be grass wall to wall because of that or um, it will be. So everywhere that, that out there, that synthetic turf right now will be grass plus some more. And okay. then we'll have a lot of where the track will be will actually be synthetic. And then we'll have some nice. actual warning track space um, left as well. So it's it's going to be a little bit different than it looks right now. But overall, the the surface will be pretty very similar. similar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I would assume so. <laughs> yeah. 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 I just didn't know. It's pretty close there on the edge there for the corner kicks. So yeah. corners are where our issue is for sure. Yeah, we won't talk about Brentsville's dimensions. <laughs> <laughs> We're a little confined by our track. Yeah, we don't have the the time to just move the track. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's a significant process. Yeah, so. and I'm sure it'll be significant here. Yep. Um, so we sort of talked about your journey sort of through turf grass, and uh, you mentioned how you were interested in landscaping. Um, what was it that brought you to turf and what was your sort of journey getting you prepared for something like this, where again, you're going to be hosting the FIFA world cup in 2026. I I don't know that anything I did back then was going to prepare me for that at all. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, it's, you always dream about something like that, but I would say that, you know, when I was younger, I loved being outside. It was just me and my mom growing up. She was always out in the gardens and, you know, I say, let me mow the lawn. It was at that point made me mow the lawn, <laughs> um, but I love being outside. And, yeah. you know, I took a lot of pride in it even back then. And, um, there was one, the one specific instance I always called back to was when, um, Ted Williams passed away and I don't remember what year it was, but I was pretty young still. And, um, we were watching the, the Sox game that day and they had a nine, a number nine in the outfield. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, me and my buddy, uh, it just kind of blew our minds. Cause at that point we had no idea how they did yeah, it. So, yeah. yeah. We took our my mower out in the backyard immediately, and we set that thing as low as it could go. <laughs> and we scalped an eye in the yes. backyard. That's awesome. And when my mom came home, she was not super pleased about that, but I thought that's how it was done. And that's yeah. kind of the thing that yeah, for sure. kind of like sparked it a little bit. And then, you know, I went to school initially for landscape design. Um, I had worked on golf courses, so I knew a little bit about the turf industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and when I was in school there, that's, I kind of learned about the sports turf side of it. So I finished my associate's degree in landscaping and then transferred to UMass for uh, turf management. And my first year there, first internship applied uh, at Fenway, um, was lucky enough to get hired by Dave and, and Griff and Weston, who you've had on the podcast. Yeah, well, he was still there at that awesome, point. Awesome guy. Um, so they, they were either dumb enough or smart enough to hire me at that point. And um, you know, I ended up staying on all four years while I was at UMass. There was a group of us that would commute back and, um, about an hour and a half from UMass. So we, we were working every weekend and, um, I did one summer in Southern Maine working for Rick Peruzzi up at the Wainwright complex, which is a multi-use facility while I was in school. And then graduated in 2010, um, finished out the season at Fenway with Dave and in October, 
Uh, he made the call to John Bankston, who was the superintendent here at Gillette at the time. Mm -hmm. And he hired me on for the end of the football season. And when the football season ended in February of 2011, uh, took a job with Jared Minnick down at the Maryland soccer plex as assistant manager in training, worked my way up over the next three or four years and ended up taking over for him as director of grounds. When he left in 2014 or 15, I always get that mixed yeah, up. Yeah. <laughs> Um, was a director of grounds there until 2019 and got the call from Gillette. Um, literally two weeks after my wife and I closed on our first house in Maryland, they called and said, would you be interested? <laughs> You're like, really? Yeah. This is two weeks earlier. Yeah. I tell, Come this, on. I tell this story all the time. Yeah. They, they flew me up for the interview and I sat down and I was, so how's everything going? You know, small talk or whatever. And I was like, well, things are going pretty good. I was literally just peeling tape off the walls because we were painting our house that we just bought in <laughs> So it, they, they turned to you and said, you're probably going to want to stop. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you don't need to worry about that anymore. Yeah. That's awesome. Though. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a, a dream opportunity to, to get back to New England and, you know, being from Maine originally, my wife's from Maryland originally. And, um, you know, she, she took the plunge with me and we moved up and, uh, I started in August of 2019. We got married in September of 2019, uh, like six weeks after I started. Yeah. Um, and then it was just the, you know, full first full season, all, you know, all full speed ahead, kind of drinking out of a fire hose, learning everything here. And then COVID hit in 2020 and everything shut down. And, you know, it's just, everybody's dealt with that, but it was going from absolutely everything you could possibly imagine to just complete shutdown. It was quite a, quite it's a change. It's still crazy. Yeah. I'm still, it's funny. Cause I still look back and I'm just like, yeah, we lived through that sort of like, that's, it's crazy how, and we're sort and I nobody cancel me, please. That we're sort of normal. I would say we're normal. Mm -hmm. That's probably the safest thing to say. Um, and like it was two years ago where it was just like no one's allowed to leave your house. Yep. Just stay there. Yeah. We were probably the only ones allowed on the on site for a while there. It was a pretty wild time here at the stadium because we were deemed um necessary employees and you know, you come into work on a day like today and I mean, you guys drove in the stadium, the parking lots are full. I mean, we yep. don't have a football game today. We don't have, you know, we have the graduation tonight, but you know, there's hundreds and hundreds of employees that work at this place, whether it's construction or concessions or events or the Patriot place or whatever in our front office staff. And, you know, we were coming in for that first few weeks after everybody got sent home and it was literally myself, our other six to seven staff members and maybe less than 50 people in the entire facility. Yeah. And it was a ghost town for months. And, you know, as a turf guy, it was, we're never going to be able to maintain grass with no one using it for six months at a yeah. professional facility. So that was an interesting, um, it's like somebody come tear this field up. It, yeah, <laughs> it got to the point where it was just like, it was almost too dense, which is a crazy thing to say. So we were having to, beat it up ourselves to say is, everybody put the pads yeah. on we're going in <laughs> so that was a good problem to have yeah was, you know i would yeah, if, if i could go back and trade having grass that no one was using for not having to deal with that we would trade it in a heartbeat but yeah. we got through it and you know we're, we're here where we are now and it's good to have full stadium events again and you know we had our first full concert uh garth brooks a couple couple weeks ago Always the place place was rocking Always it's a just good one. it's good to have people back you know, the, the atmosphere is, is somewhat normal again. Yeah. So we were, I mean, we sort of, you sort of hinted at it multiple times because everybody does when they're have a facility like this, what has it been like for you sort of, um, I guess understanding is not the right term, but sort of gaining that sort of event manager side of things. Obviously you have a lot of people working in the stadium, but like 
having again, say a soccer game one night, a concert the next night, and then a football game three days later. What has it been like for you sort of getting into the swing of the chaos that ensues from uh, such a, a big event space like Gillette Stadium? Yeah, I think it's just trial by fire for us. You know, I, I got a little bit of a taste of it when I worked here that one year with with John. Mm-hmm. Um, I we didn't have any concerts at that point. It was just soccer and football, and somehow that year we didn't have any of the overnight changeovers. Um, but last year, for example, last fall we had four uh, weekends where we had a soccer game Saturday night and a football game Sunday, and you know those those turnarounds are. Um, they can really beat you up. And I can't remember who I, I was listening to one of your podcasts in it. it might have been, <laughs> oh, God. Uh, no, they're, they're great. I'm glad. I'm I, was, glad. I think it might have been Nick, my, uh, Nick who I'm, I'm good friends with down in Atlanta. He was talking about Pappas. And, yeah. yeah, Pappas. The anticipation of that changeover is almost worse than the work. Yeah. You know, because you just know, you know how much work it is and you're yeah. dreading it. And then you get into it and adrenaline just kind of takes over. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the staff. I'm lucky to have such an incredible staff here. I have two assistant superintendents, one that somewhat oversees the soccer practice facility, Chris mm-hmm. Hurley, and one that oversees the the uh, Patriots training facility, Tyler Vandenacker. And those those guys are incredible. And everyone else on our staff too. I mean, the, their ability to keep a good attitude in in times where the schedule is crazy, everybody's tired, weather's not cooperating. You know that that makes a huge difference. So. Like I said, the anticipation of it tends to be worse. You yeah, know, the NFL schedule drops in April, and that's all we're looking for is you know what what are those weekends that we know the we're day we here. what are we ready for? <laughs> right. So, but once you get into it, you know the work just takes over and you get it done. And then once that football game kicks off at one o'clock the next day, you can just take a big sigh of relief and kick back and not kick back, but you can take a sigh of relief and enjoy the fact that you you got the work done. Yeah, for sure. Uh, my back when uh my kids actually it was right it was the week before code actually we uh were contracted to um convert dc united to the dc defenders so like our kids got a little taste of that nice and it's funny because they were my and again it's like one of my favorite moments in my career when it comes to teaching um they we came back it was like four in the morning <laughs> and i'm like i'm like this happens a lot i hope you know this right. like if you're getting into this industry know this happens yeah. um but we come back the next day of school and they're sitting there and they go miller guess what they don't call me mister it's just miller right uh <laughs> they go everything we did last night was what we do on our field here at brentsville i'm yeah. like that's the whole point of our program is exactly. that you have those moments where Everything that I'm trying to teach you, again, trying, maybe not successfully most of the time, <laughs> but you are actually going to be using that moving forward if you were to go down this road in this industry, you know? So, um, and it's all I do, I, I agree with you. You sort of get into it. It's just like, oh, we did it. We're done. Yeah, <laughs> you exactly. know, my, my favorite time is when you get a little delirious at like two or three in the morning and you're just like, yeah. Where are we? What, how much more is going on? We, we had one this this past season where we we had some extra help come in, and you know those those guys are great, and um, we everything went well. You know the soccer game ended on time. We got everything off. The post game shots on net that ended well. We got all that done. Got all the scrubbing done, and it started raining while we were scrubbing, which 
we, you know, we knew it was in the forecast and mm-hmm. it was one of those things that you just accept. And for scrubbing, it was great. You know, it helps yeah, clean keep a little bit extra yeah. <laughs> lubricant on the right. blade. Right. So that, that worked out great. And then, you know, rain stopped, we got everything groomed and laid out and ready to go started painting football. And, uh, you know, it was one of those nights where things were just clicking and it's a good feeling. Yeah. <laughs> and we got everything done and like three, three 15 in the morning, and we were wrapping up, pulling up a last string, and I, the heavens opened up. Oh. And my, uh, my Mother Pete, Nature yeah. made a joke about us. Yeah. What is this? <laughs> my, my buddy Pete and I, we were sitting in my office, and we were looking at the security cameras, just watching. Oh, there goes the center, Elvis. Oh, there goes the end zone. Oh, there goes the border. And it just you could see things <laughs> just sitting just start there, disappearing. You're sitting in your desk. You're like, I'm not going to look anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it, it really got <laughs> 9 a.m. We'll be out there doing it. I'm just not going to look anymore. Well, so that was the problem. So we have to technically for a one o'clock game, we have to be done by 9 a.m. Yeah. So they have, we have to hand the field over. So at that point, you know, 3 30, in the morning, you know, we just made a call and said, everybody go crash for, you look at the radar, you look at the forecast. So everybody go crash for an hour, hour and a half, get, get a nap in, get some rest. And we're going to be back out here at 5 a.m. We're going to hit it as hard as we've ever hit it. And thank God, you know, the the weather broke, you know, one of those crisp fall mornings, like everything. Guys woke up at 5. We're out there at 5.15. We start painting, knocked it all out, and got it all done. At, you know, we were off the field at 8.15, 8.30 a.m. Nice. And that's, you know, that's when the rest of the staff, the rest of the facility starts filling in. My, Nobody had any idea. My favorite part is they literally yeah, have no clue no about idea. it. You know, yeah, it's always it's always those moments where you're like, oh, you feel so accomplished. Like we just did this twice tonight. Yeah. This is great. And yeah. then everybody's like, it looks great. Bye. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that, that's kind of the world we live in. Right. Somebody, you know, I think one of the big quotes is like, nobody you're only doing you're, you're doing your job right if nobody says anything. Right. Yeah. And that's it, it's it can be a thankless job at times. And those two, three a.m. nights, that's. You, if you can stick that out and you can put that grind in, that really, it it, it shows yourself. It shows your coworkers like you're you're not in it for the glory. You're just in it because you love what you do. Yeah, for sure. And again, like that's what I've told my kids all the time. Like you don't get in this industry to be the the one inch shining lights. You know, you're not the you're not Tom Brady on the field here. You know, I am definitely not Tom Brady. <laughs> <laughs> well, Tom's in Tampa now. Yeah, Maybe you can true. be. You never know. Yep. Uh, but the one of the things and you sort of hinted at it earlier i always said um because and i was victim of it too where i was sort of just oblivious of who the sports field manager was and uh i remember going to shea stadium as a kid um in new york uh, the old mets stadium big mets fan uh finally we were, there's some light in our freaking yeah, team yeah, but absolutely. um we uh we went and it was, uh, I think it was right before the playoffs. And uh, what's his name? Oh, it's escaping me. Uh, Pete Flynn. Sorry. The the Hall of Fame groundskeeper for the Mets for, I mean, he was there for like 50 years, probably. He put in the New York City scape in the outfit. You were talking about the right. number nine, right? Yep. And I I said, I think I wrote an article on it, but I, I said I fell victim to the fact that I was more interested in the Hall of Fame catcher because Mike Piazza was my favorite player. So it was kind of like I didn't really I saw it first. I was like, oh, it's incredible. And then I was back to baseball, you right. know, like but I didn't appreciate the fact I was in the presence of a Hall of Fame groundskeeper, you know, right. Which I mean, that cityscape thing is still one of the craziest things I've ever seen when yep. it comes to managing a field and 
the time that had to have taken, even though I, a lot of people are like, oh, you just have to turn this, this like, Nope. That's there's too much going on. Like <laughs> there's a lot that goes into it. And yeah. some of the guys, baseball, especially, you know, Dave working for Dave at Fenway, you know, he's very well known for a lot of the patterns that he's done in the outfield and infield. And so we learned a lot about that there. And, you know, it's, I think that sometimes, sometimes too much, um, attention gets paid to patterns, you know what I mean? And they can, they can be, they can be detrimental sometimes, but at the same time, like you don't want to be a buzzkill. Like it, it, work is about, you got to have fun sometimes too. So like having the opportunity to put a fun pattern in an outfield or a soccer field or a lacrosse field, whatever it is, you know, it's, it, there's a balance to all of it. So it's, we, we do stuff here. We did, you know, Tyler laid out and designed this awesome 4th of July pattern for us last year and mm-hmm. for the upper practice fields and did a huge, um, you know, American flag out there and it looked great. So it's like, we, we like to have fun with stuff like that, uh, whenever we can too. We use it to get our kids interested and stuff. Oh so yeah. Things That's like awesome. that. Like yep. it's not detrimental in a sense, but at the same time, like, you're like, maybe we shouldn't do so many turns on the field, but, <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> exactly. but I mean, it's, it's something the kids, I love the fact that you can just be creative in the sense of you might not know what you're doing, but in the end it might look really cool. You know yeah. what I mean? So uh, things like that. It's just, it's awesome to see, especially like a kid, again, like a 15 year old go up to it and just like, I'm going to do something. I'm like, okay, yeah. good luck. Like, yeah. <laughs> And that's, that's so, you know, not to flip this around on you, but that I, I talked to you a little bit about it earlier, but I think what you guys are doing is such an awesome thing down there. And I wish there were more places that kind of would pick up that model because, you know, as, as a, you know, field superintendent and somebody that's always looking to hire new staff, you know, a lot of college enrollment in the turf program seems to be down. And if we could start building that interest at a yeah. younger age, you know, I, if I could have found something like that in high school, I mean, I, I didn't know what I wanted to do until I got to UMass. And even then I probably didn't, but you know, if I could have known exactly how interesting this in- industry is and how much science is in it, but also how much artistry and creativity is in it, it's just, a, it's a great industry. And I think, the attention you guys are bringing to it is really awesome. I appreciate that. We're trying and we're actually helping out a lot of people start programs across the country. Uh, I've had a few, I know California last year, Costa Del Mar, they just started one up and they, they already have kids going crazy with it. Uh, they're more focused on baseball because they think they have artificial football or whatever, mm-hmm. but uh, that, and again, like just different programs across the country sort of taking what we have. And I was on a call with uh I think it was a guy in Tennessee, uh, Dr. We talked about Dr. Yep. Rockin before we were on with a guy. He has a program that's more sort of traditional ag that, and that's sort of what our story was, was traditional ag switched into what it, the jobs are in Northern Virginia, obviously from Maryland, you know, there's a lot of suburbia and yep. growing into that and seeing things shift in the overall scheme of sort of the greater DC area. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where I came in and, yeah, my that story is interesting. I don't know if we want to get into all that, but it was an accident that I became a teacher. It was not really planned um, at this time. It was sort of a I was planning my retirement before I was doing it because right. yeah. obviously uh, with sports surf, there's a lot of stuff and a lot of time and certain things is like you obviously think you can go for 40 years in this, but at the same time, like I was being realistic at the time and mm-hmm. I knew that I was not gonna be taking any school right. <laughs> after my time in sports right. surf. So I was like. I'll just go get my education uh, master's and then do that now. So I got that started and then they called me like, I think it was like two weeks into my master's program and they were like, 
hey, we want to talk to you about an opportunity. And I didn't know it was for me teaching. I thought it was just me helping them come up with the program. Because right. <laughs> yeah. this conversation, it ended up being like, hey, what would you do if you uh, <laughs> were in charge? I'm like, well, you have athletic field. You can take care of all those. Yeah. Uh, landscapes, obviously you have all these spaces you have to take care of, manage, understand what you need to do. And that led to a three hour conversation with the guy who's in charge of career child education that then became, uh, Hey, wait outside for five minutes. I'm like, <laughs> no, you wait outside for five <laughs> minutes. Like, what are you talking about? And he comes out. He's like, you have an interview at the school right now. I'm like, no, I don't. No, that was yeah. not, that's not a thing. Uh, but my dad, he was an admin. He's a principal at a middle school in that county. And he asked my dad for me to go talk to him. And that ended up being like a whole like I was like going to throw my dad off a cliff. I was like, what did you take? <laughs> like, what are, what's going on? Um but the interview with the principal was three hours. And that was like insane to me that she had three hours in a school day to talk. So, yeah. uh, yeah, it was sort of just like, Hey, come and develop this turf program. If you want make it what you want it to be. And that's so cool. That's where we're at five years later. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, kudos to the principal and the administrators for kind of seeking that out initially. And then yeah. having the foresight to see that opportunity that you would provide for them. And, you know, they, Push more, more people would be like that, but yeah, sometimes the best opportunities come from stuff you never expect. The most random things, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> it's always, it's always interesting to see all of that yep. for sure. Um, with everything here, obviously, um, again, we talked about the facilities overall. Um, you have a couple projects going on down there. Obviously, right now you're extending your practice fields so that they're 100 yards or 120, whatever the right. 120 360 feet everybody can i teach it i should know it right um <laughs> 100 yards 120 with the end zone, yeah. feet totally. yeah. i said it right right yeah. yep. <laughs> um what has it been like with again since 2019 sort of making this sort of your own you know like yeah. obviously you, we talked about like uh the old guy moving out and then you sort of creating that uh shop space into your own mm -hmm. what has it been like for you sort of taking on again, the highest level of what sports field management is and sort of putting your own little hints into everything that's going on. Yeah, for sure. So I was very lucky or somewhat unlucky, depending on how you look at it, where I took over for a guy, John Bankson, who, when he left this place, you know, a lot of, a lot of big jobs may open up because there was an epic failure or, you know, something bad happened, or there was, you know, the guy didn't get along with administration or whatever it was. John was the polar opposite of all that. He was incredible at his job. The fields were in immaculate shape and everyone here loved him. And he was just, you know, it, it was his time for a change for him. And so when I came in here, it wasn't like I had some easy fix where I, you know, there was a problem and I could fix it. It was like, oh my God, I have to keep these fields in really, really good shape and have to build these relationships back up to someone that all these people have never met before. Um, but also while building a new staff and, and creating an agronomic program. And so there, there was a lot of, um, a lot of positives that came with it, but also some challenges too. And, and luckily, you know, John had a great agronomic program already laid out and we were right in the middle of the season. So we kept that going and tweaked some stuff here and there, but then, you know, working with the two assistants at the time, it was Tyler and, and Elliot Lindstrom, who's now at the Worcester, um, the Woo Sox at Polar Park in Worcester, 
at the time working with them to see, you know, what are they comfortable with? What are things that they wanted to try and, um, you know, tailoring that agronomic program? Are there things that we wanted to do differently that maybe John didn't do or whatever it is? And just slowly starting to put our own kind of twist on things. Um, but it was great because like I said, we came into a program that was already working, um, and we're able to, to put our tweaks on it. And, you know, talking about the shop, we, you know, we, we, uh, I explained a little bit to you earlier that the shop was built in 2000, 2001 to maintain two fields. Definitely up to date. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yep, yep. And uh, we have the exact same footprint and exact same building and we have six fields now. So uh, space is at a premium. So we're trying to be as efficient as we possibly can. We've gotten, you know, new style, like collapsible shelving and trying to get, you know, more an actual kind of break room space for the guys. And, you know, so just trying to like tweak things like that, be a little bit, you know, get organized how we want to be organized. Um, you know, how our mechanic or whoever it is, you know, I, I try and give them the freedom to, you know, this is your space, build it how you want, organize it how you want, and let's keep it at, to a high level as we possibly can. hundred percent. That's awesome. As a boss, you know, to be able to give them that, you know, it's, yeah. it's some people aren't able to sort of, I don't know if let go is the right term for it, but like, Hey, this is as much you as me. So like, we need to be able to be on the same page of like, Hey, we need to have everything prepared, but I want you to know where your stuff is so that you can make sure that our equipment's working right. And we're all moving at hundred percent efficiency. So that's awesome. Uh, <laughs> it's, also, it's also easy for, for me to say that I do that, but I know if, you know, from their perspective, uh, hey, I'm a crazy person when it comes I, I'm to sure, being I'm sure. Yeah, so. no, and I'm sure they, I, that's a good thing though. Cause right. like I, <laughs> I, uh, Casey Underwood was, uh, my first boss down at Virginia tech. He's the, now, now he's got a promotion. I think he's like director of athletic operations or something now, but, um, he, <laughs> he's this guy that like, I wanted to be better, but at the same time, like you couldn't beat the guy. Like mm -hmm. he literally had to be in on everything. And I'm like, just breathe for a second so we can like catch up. Okay. Yeah. Like and he's like doing all the admin stuff and all that. Like he's still working with the athletic director on his Monday meeting, but then he's out there in the 10 foot ditch, digging up down to the main on a right. hill that we can't get anything on because it's on the practice field. Yep. I'm like, you know, you're in charge. You don't have to do any of this. <laughs> yeah. It's like, why are you down yeah. here with us? So, uh, no, I hear what you're saying on that, but like things like that, where like guys want to be better to again, meet that standard. Mm -hmm. You know, I always wanted to try and be better because of him. Um, obviously there's different dynamics on every crew. So, uh, some guys like would avoid it. Some people would be like, eh, yeah. you know what? I do my job. It's okay. But mm -hmm. like, I always wanted to meet sort of Casey's standard on everything, even though I know I never remotely came close to it. Yeah. <laughs> it you have everybody's got different personalities on every staff too, right? And not everybody responds the same way to the same style of management. So you have to kind of get a feel for everybody's personality. And if some people respond better to just kind of letting them do their own thing and you know, you can trust them to do that, or some some guys may want more hands-on, you know, whatever it is, you just gotta figure out and learn your staff and what they respond well to what they don't respond well to. And, you know, one thing I try and stress to, to all of our staff is like, and it's easy to say it rather than follow up on it, but you know, I, I want people to be open with communication about how they're feeling, whether it's positive or negative and, you know, come up with new suggestions or new ways to do things. And it's not, I'm not always going to say yes to everything, but yeah. it, you know, it's everything that gets suggested gets, 
gets noted and you know mm-hmm. we may not be able to try something today but we might be able to try that in a couple of weeks or yeah. we may be able to try it next season if we have more time or whatever it is so you know we we always want input from from all of our staff all the way yeah. from part-time all the way up to full-time because like you said you know if i'm stuck doing administration work or i'm you know in the office for more than more than i'd like to be for a couple of days i'm i'm not out there with those guys doing seeing the hands on stuff as much as i'd like to be yeah so i have to trust them to know that when when they say we need to do something it's because it needs to be done not not just cuz they're asking for luxuries or anything like yeah, that yeah 100% 100% um I would sort of, you were sort of talking about building that sort of repertoire with staff and uh, rapport. Sorry, wrong word. You obviously have to do that with the teams. Mm-hmm. Um, and something that I always, I always love hearing from guys like you is like, again, you have two, two teams, you've got two professional sporting events, team spaces, things like that, working with coaches, working with uh, operations, what has it been like for you sort of creating those relationships? We talked about the revolution coaches and how they're always there and they're always listening and helping every way that they can. What has it been like for you sort of developing those things with coaches, staffs, with operate presidents? I, I, there's so many people yeah. when it comes to like the up to down where we're all working coherently to create the space of, again, something like a Gillette stadium where you have 40, 50, 60,000, some, some around there. Uh, 60. There you go. There yep. you go. <laughs> One of the bigger stadiums, by the way, yeah. um, uh, for games and everything. Again, it's there are so many things going on, and you're obviously year-round with the soccer and everything. Being able to have good relationships and have a, an understanding, you know, having a coach know, hey, you can't sit in the same spot every single time for your practice. Like, you're going to destroy this field. Right. The reason we have these three other fields is so that we're not doing that even though there are coaches that don't listen to that (laughs) what has it been like for you to do all of this again sort of relationship building uh since your time here in 2019 it's crazy how 2019 is already almost four years now it's unbelievable Uh, (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah, for sure um but yeah so i think building those relationships is crucial whether it's a facility like this or really any facility and at the soccerplex that was one thing our end users at the soccerplex most of the time were families and you know youth youth soccer, youth across, whatever it was. And so we had to figure out ways to communicate with people that may be coming in from other states all the way across the country, other countries sometimes. And so figuring out ways to communicate to them. And I think working on that really helped me prepare with communicating with many different types of people, many different uh, positions, whatever it was, to be able to come to a facility like this, where it's very unique in that we it's one ownership group. The crafts own both the Patriots and the revolution. Um, and I work for the crafts. So technically it's one of those things where obviously you're never going to say this to somebody on either of the teams, but like at the end of the day, we don't work for the teams, but they're the ones that are the end users. Hundred percent. So I work for a company that doesn't actually use the fields, if that makes sense. So, So we have to, we have to be as, open with communication and do everything we possibly can to make sure that the surfaces are as good as they can be for the, for the athletes, for the coaches of the two teams. But at the end of the day, the people that are signing off on budgets and making decisions on renovations and capital equipment purchases are, uh, is the ownership group. So it's a little Mm -hmm. unique, but as far as communication directly with the teams, that's something that we've 
tried to focus on since day one. Um, you know, we wanted to build that rapport with, with the coaching staffs um, so that in, and, and not just with me, you know, like I said, we have the Chris, the assistant that oversees the revolution facility. We want to make sure that he's in communication with whether it's the strength and conditioning guys, or the goalkeeper coach or the assistant coach, Richie, whoever it is, um, you know, and so that they're always communicating about what, what's the team doing? What are we doing? And we're lucky with the rev staff. They, they take a lot of interest in what we're doing. They're always asking, you know, what's, what are we putting out for fertilizer? What are we doing this? Like, why, why are we doing the things that we're doing, but not just questioning it because they're genuinely interested. And then, you know, on the Patriots side of things with Tyler, you know, our, our main points of contact with football are usually strength and conditioning or some of the positional coaches. Always that guy. Yep. And, and they're, <laughs> they're great to work with on both sides. Um, you know, they, they're a little bit, you know, a professional football team is going to be a little bit more set in its ways when it comes mm-hmm. to practices and where they want to be yeah. and how they want to do the drills. And that's just one of the challenges that we have to kind of um, accept and overcome and figure out ways to get creative because, I'm not going to try and argue with a, a professional football coach to tell them that they they need to move their, their ladder drill. So we're not walking up the bill. Hey yeah. man, how are you doing? Exactly. We want to just, just scoot over this. Yeah. yeah so. <laughs> You're like, Oh, sorry. Never mind. You're I'm going to let okay. him do what he needs to do. And all the coaches do. He's they been here a little do. while, you yeah. know, so, um, but still, you know, we, at the same time, we want to build trust with, with them too, to just let them know that, when we're doing whatever it is, if it's aerating or, or top dressing or any of the work that we're doing, you know, everything that, that we're doing has them in mind. You know, we're trying to create the safest, best possible service for that team to use, for the revs to use, whoever it is. And we manage them very differently. We're talking professional soccer versus professional football, two totally different surface management yeah. styles. Well, the agronomics are, are still pretty similar. So it's, trying to communicate as much as possible and, and build those relationships because it's never, it's never a bad thing to have open lines communication with, with your users. hundred uh, percent. It's especially, do you get any opportunity to really uh, sort of communicate with the players sort of preference wise, understand what they're thinking? Uh, if they have like a question for something, like do they know who to talk to and whatnot? Yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, and a lot of times you know, it's at any, at any professional sports a stadium or, or venue or whatever it is, you know, we come to the stadium to go to work and they come to the stadium to go to work. So a lot of the, a lot of the communications that we have are just going to be off, off chance or, you know, kind of off to the side or running into them in the hall and in transition or something like that. But, you know, from the soccer side of things, I would say probably the keepers are the ones that we have the most communication with. Still not a ton, but, um, you know, because they're the ones that are, interacting directly with the surface pretty significantly. Yeah. Um, most impacted probably. Exactly. Maybe. And they're also out there before the, you know, most keepers are out there half hour, 45 minutes before the rest of the team anyway. And we have a good relationship with our coach. And so we do have those communications and on the football side of things, not a lot um, because outside of maybe special teams, there's not a lot of field specific things that we do with are the looking team. for. Right. So, yeah. I gotcha. And they, at least they haven't brought it up to us yet, but there's not a lot of guys that have specific preferences, at least in our organization. Yeah. Um, field wise. So that that's kind of nice. And we know that, you know, as long as, as long as the footing's good, as long as it's safe, as long as it's, you know, it's looking good, then the guys are going to be happy. A hundred percent. With that, obviously new England is known for it's very harsh winters, you know, um, 
we've talked to a couple uh, different again, sports field managers on the northern side um, with uh, Alan Johnson. We actually, so we talked to him. Mm-hmm. I think it's like the third podcast I've mentioned this. We've talked to him on a, a space, like, but it was just for the kids. So we didn't like post it or anything like that. Yep. Um, but what he goes through on that level, I'm sure you sort of go through at the same level, probably pretty even when it comes to Northern part. Um, what is it that you're focusing on really agronomically speaking uh, leading into again, what is a uh, very rough winter. And we were talking about how you weren't able to go to SFMA because the Patriots are a playoff team. Usually. Yep. Um, what are you focusing on sort of now in order to, sort of prep for that harsh winter, obviously. Yeah. Uh, um, what bluegrass are you running with? Is it the 365 SS? Or? So we, we have a, a quite a few different ones that we use. We use gotcha. uh, touchdown for some overseeding. Gotcha. And a lot of the stuff that we get from Tuckahoe's Mountain View Seeds. Okay. Yeah. Um, we use some Barenbrook stuff out on the soccer field. So we, we kind of spread it around a lot. And Spreading the love. You got to love it. Exactly. All great products, by yeah. the way. Yeah. Like, it's, yeah. We, we love Mountain View Seed. They, they're they very supportive of us. But like mm-hmm. Barenbrook's been a staple in the industry forever. Yeah. Now, so. so we do, you know, on the stadium, you know, obviously Alan, and has his natural grass field in Green Bay, which kudos to him. I mean, the the, <laughs> the ability that they have to to keep that field in such good shape yeah, for, for so sure. long is is really impressive. And we obviously have a synthetic game field. You know, it still presents challenges with snow and everything else. But you know, we have that. I don't want to call it a luxury, but we have that ability to focus more agronomically on our practice fields, which is where the majority of the t- the time that the team is spent is out on the practice. Only fields. eight nine games on this field yep. before the postseason yeah, versus it depends if we have eight 300 practices games, you right. know so and and our our team our football team does not go inside for practice so he's a big uh proponent New englander of, yeah <laughs> you, you, you practice in the conditions that you play in yeah so they're outside you know outside of really really heavy winds or lightning those are the only situations that knock on wood that they've gone on inside yeah. for for the most part so you know, we, we don't do anything crazy here. I mean, we, we know that, you know, our soccer team generally is going to be done sometime in October, November, depending on how well they do in the playoffs or how, how deep of a run they make. So we know that we can generally shut those fields down um, in a pretty typical fashion and know that we're going to have to get them back woken up in, um, you know, the, the one heated field that will yeah, probably start in January. January. And then the other field, um, just kind of as normal when it would normally wake up. So the football fields are different because, you know, we've got th- two different surfaces. One is the upper fields, which is two fields that are <clears throat> one big uh, square. And then the other is the lower field. The lower field has a, a forced hot air sub air system down there. So we have do, we do have some heating that we can put into that field. So we, we treat that field differently than the upper field. Yeah. So, you know, it's, everything's a very site specific thing for us and we'll treat you know the fo- one football field differently than the other two yeah. and then the one soccer field differently from the other two and then the one soccer field differently from the other one and so yeah we we're, we're managing the same grass and we've got six different fields and at the end of the day we'll have a relatively consistent agronomic program for all six but as we get into the weeds and especially the winter we could have six different plans going for all six different fields yeah, that's that's awesome because and I always find it interesting to see sort of facility wise, how people have to differ. Um, 
when it comes to, and it's not a microclimate because we, we've talked to different people who have microclimates on like their fields. Mm-hmm. Weston was a big proponent yep. on that with the uh, uh, platinum uh, seashore. Is it past pound? Past pound. He has past pound. Yep. Yeah. I try to remember people. That's pretty <laughs> good. 80 something interviews. Yeah. Good. I'm trying. I'm yeah. trying. <laughs> um, but having sort of those microclimates and understanding that the approach needs to be different in order to, again, provide the best product. Um, something you mentioned on the way up uh, that I'm very excited to see what happens is you're looking at maybe putting in a sort of a sod strip of Tahoma 31, seeing yeah. the boundary of what Bermuda. And again, it's, it's been crazy to see just sort of, again, where again, Northern Virginia, where we used to be the, the or sort of upper echelons of where we could go with Bermuda grass, you yeah. know, uh, Patriot was the, the big oh, yeah. now now everybody hates it but it was the it was, I was the love, first, I still love Patriot. Uh, that's all of our game field so yeah. uh it was the first big like movement of the hybrid that was going to push the sort of the winter kill um uh sort of north uh and then i think i don't know if it was tony in, in philly or not did he go latitude before the Tahoma or I'm not sure he had one, he went one year where he was Bermuda in mm-hmm. the summer. And then it just became sort of that sort of normal Bermuda bluegrass sort of resod that right. he does. Yep. Um, but I think he's keeping Tahoma and he's just doing Tahoma from now on. I could be yeah, wrong, yeah. but the, I, th- we just talked Northwestern and Chicago. Mm-hmm. So we're, <laughs> we're moving further and we're further. Up, and yeah. uh, again, what is sort of your sort of like idea Sort of testing that and maybe seeing an implementation in some way here in New England. Yeah. So uh, coming from New England, born and raised in Maine, went to school at UMass. I saw Bermuda grass four times a year in a lab. You know, when we're prepping for the <laughs> prepping true. for the, the turf, turf uh, ball turf and the uh, student challenge. Yeah. <laughs> so this looks weird. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but when I got down to the soccer place that we had they had already installed two Bermuda grass fields. And by the time I left, we had seven. Um, and we had, we had tried everything. They started with Patriot. Um, then we, we actually did two uh, trials where we had two fields that we split end to end. And mm-hmm. we did, um, I'm going to get it wrong, but I think we did Riviera next to That's seated, yeah. Patriot. And then we did Latitude next to Northbridge, I think. And all just the big to, ones. Yeah. Just to see, you know, what, what made the most sense. And we ended up, struggling with that trial because we ended up you know it was a winter polar vortex and all this yeah. other stuff but oh it was um, that year yeah oh not great. i remember that yeah. one um, so we had those like four 10 every day for like two months right yeah. Is yeah. That we- it was brutal oh, and so we ended up having all four of those plus the patriot and then we tried to home- we put and saw some to home in my last year before i left and so i i really i love marita grass i yeah. miss it so much um and so Part of me is just more curious to see what we can do with it, but mm-hmm. um, we've got a, a hydronic heating system at the Revs field, one, the, one of the Revs fields. Yeah, yeah. And the thought is just, you know, we've got a, a project that we're doing with the football fields and we're getting some sod in from New Jersey. And the thought is like, let's throw a roll of Tahoma on the truck. Yeah, yeah. Let's install it in the workout area on the heated field. Cause that's the only place where we're going to be able to likely have a chance to keep it going year yeah, round yeah, for sure. and just see what we can do with it. And, yeah. you know, not necessarily have them, use that strip any differently than anything else. And we won't treat it agronomically different than anything else, but just to see, can we keep it alive for a year, two years? Does yeah. it going to spread? Is it not going to spread? You know, what, what can we do? And then if, if we end up 
having good results with it. Maybe we do on the heated field. We, we put half of the workout area in as a Bermuda field. Would it be an option for FIFA? For the stadium field? For FIFA? Well, not just to stay, but like right. we were talking about high traffic and everything, and it's mm-hmm. during the summer, right? The whole event. Well, the, the games were, were anticipating mid-June to mid-July. So like, again, I'm not, I, I don't know the specific weather up here, but it's supposed to be 90 on Saturday. So like. But it was also like 60 last Saturday. Uh, it, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, if you have the heated system, yeah. uh, I don't know if they're putting that whole thing in, which I'm assuming it's FIFA. So I'm assuming they probably would. They, um, it, that's going to be completely up to them. So gotcha. I think they, they've, <laughs> they're just going to throw some sand down on right. top of this and then put the grass right. on top. So it's totally everything spec perfectly. Yes. <laughs> I will say, so the synthetic field we have now is just over a gravel base. Over yeah. The yeah. Yeah. System. And we have full drainage and everything out there. But once, once that football season's over in the end of January, 2026, we'll tear this out. We'll put in a full soil profile, full yeah, irrigation 100%. system, um, we're going to sod it and you know, I, I, I'm anticipating will be hundred percent bluegrass. Yeah. But, I, I mean, obviously that's right. the normal, but like yeah. if something were to show promise, like I think so. I mean that honestly that, so I know Dr. Sorokin's done a ton of work with FIFA and they're still doing some research to, because consistency of playing surface throughout the world cup is paramount to what FIFA wants. Okay, gotcha. And we're talking about fields from Foxborough, Massachusetts to Guadalajara, Mexico. <laughs> yeah to vancouver bc yeah. in canada so to be able to do that you know can You're we have a consistent asking the impossible what is consistency right? like yeah. what are the data points that we're going to be using and can we get a field in foxborough that's 100 percent bluegrass that plays almost identically to a bermuda grass field in mexico yeah. that's, those Tiff are the questions yeah. right we don't we don't know that yet and you know i think i'm excited to see what we end up doing from seeing again your practice facilities to again stadiums down where i'm at it's mm-hmm. pretty it's very well similar and again obviously there are so many different like different variables mm-hmm. that go into it like obviously the grain and everything yep. and would how's the ball rolling and I'm very curious to see how they're going to test it to get it prepared for FIFA. Right. You know, like yeah. if they come in and like, well, this isn't doing this. So what are you going to do? Like, <laughs> you know, well, what we'll, I mean? we'll see if Dr. Schrock is listening to this and then he can just, you know, he can have some input into that. <laughs> I think a lot of the research they're doing is going to be geared towards that. Figure out yeah. what, what are the variables that are important. 100%. Yeah. And I'm, I'm really curious again, like you said, consistency and that the the goal as a sports field manager is to have that consistency yep. obviously like from now to again january 16th when you start for soccer so having the consistency in one field that time frame to now consistency across again multiple fields 500,000 miles you know climates. yeah exactly yeah. and again yeah. like we talked about it, the indoor ones is what's going to be Nick, God bless you. Have fun, bud. Like <laughs> you got your work cut out for you. You, you sure. got something yeah. cut out for you. But yeah, I mean, Nick and and um and down in Dallas and LA. Yeah. I mean, those guys. You know, the- I heard Dallas is not even like high enough. Did you hear about that? I, I I've read some things, and that's the thing. And again, it's, it's, it's obviously just it's, so, it's, it's just yeah. different articles and whatnot. But it's like they the said, things, they have to like. like I suppose I'm trying not to get on my soapbox, but like, that's one of the things I think social media has been such an awesome thing for our industry, Yeah, but it also can be such a nightmare sometimes yeah, because for sure. there's so much misinformation in general. And we're yeah. not going to go into a lot no, of, no, that, no, no, like, no, no, I hear you. you know, I think even just in the turf stuff, like people think that they know 
what's going on or behind the scenes or whatever. It's like, it uh, it's like members at a club on a golf course. Right. Like, yeah. <laughs> hey, you like, need to do this. In the yeah. green. <laughs> it's just like, just let, let the people that are, are doing it, you know, take care yeah. of it and, and just trust that, you know, I think we've got some of the best guys possible that are going to be able to tackle that job in those yeah, facilities for sure. And they're going to knock it out of the park. Oh, hundred yeah. percent. I'm, I'm also curious again, cause I'm not, I'm not in the know because I'm a high school teacher, obviously. <laughs> but um, people wanting the NFL to sort of implement again natural grass yep. all around. What would be those steps? Because 2026 is kind of like the time where you can sort of make those those sort of premise of moving that direction yeah. for stadiums like Atlanta. Like here, obviously, it wouldn't be hard. No <laughs> offense to the crafts or anything, like. Hard's a relative term. You know what I mean, though. Like, yeah. it's not a dome. It's not right. enclosed. Right. It's not. There's not something that you're gonna have to like do infrastructural wise, like an indoor dome space. Like, right. uh, obviously Vegas has it, which yep. is incredible. Tray system. Yeah, the trace as well. So Arizona, like something like right. that, would have to become sort of like a, a standard practice in, in a sense. Yeah, I which think- I could be wrong. And again, like I, I'm. I don't know anything because I'm a high school teacher, but like uh, having something in the long, and again, you were talking about like an event space and having the number of events. It's not, it doesn't make sense to have a natural grass. You know what I mean? Right. So, and uh, Nick's in the same boat and everything like these were, be- these were built to be event spaces, you know? Yeah. So, and I, so I came and I, I like I said, I listened to Nick's podcast on here too. And, you know, we both were before we got into the facilities that we're in now, extremely vocal probably too vocal and again the negative side of social media yeah yeah yeah. saying that like what's so ridiculous like all you got to do is put grass and we have the technology you can do it it can be done and like yeah it can be done and but now being here and seeing the amount of events that we have and and it's one of those things where when we have soccer starting in february yes going into monster trucks and concerts and graduations and supercross and then you get into football and still having all that. It's just economically the amount that you'd have to sod in, sod out. And it's economically not feasible. Environmentally, it's not feasible. It just, it doesn't make sense the way it's set up right now. Now, that's not saying that it's impossible. No, um, but it's, it would make your life a living nightmare. Well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, but at the same time, like that's my dream, right? It's, yeah. I, I'm a grass guy. Yeah, I want to see grass out here, but it's. I want to see grass out here, but also have it make economic sense, be environmentally yeah. responsible with it. So we're not just trashing stuff, you know, 80,000 square feet of sod six, seven, eight times a year, just getting thrown away. Yeah. So, you know, th- there's a lot that goes into it. And at the end of the day, I always have and always will be a proponent of natural grass. Yes. And if we can ever have an opportunity here to do that long-term, that- I'll be the biggest advocate for yeah. it. Um, and I'm just excited to have 2026 on the books now and know that <laughs> at the it's absolute, coming. At the absolute <laughs> least, I'm going to have natural grass in here for like six months. Yes. So that's going to be awesome. I'm going to do the best I can for with sure. it and we'll do the best we can with it and we'll see what happens. And it, again, it's people like you and Nick that I have like, again, a understanding and a respect for again, conversion managers when it comes to stuff like this, because right. people who, again, it's you're talking about four nights last uh, season switching over. People don't understand the level in which you guys are working and the time frame and the, the, the stamina you have to have. If you were to add actually managing the field into that, 
And again, obviously it's still a, a playing surface at a high level, obviously, mm-hmm. but like adding the idea, not killing it, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, yep. that's a pretty crucial. Part yeah, exactly. Thing. And I think, I think it showed uh, USC. They did a phenomenal job, but during that time frame where they were USC and the Rams, mm-hmm. you can see the fatigue and the struggle, not from the crew, but from the field in a sense. Again, very lightly, and he did a phenomenal job. But yeah. like the uh, the number of events at the Coliseum they have, and then on top of all that, like you could tell that the the field needed a little bit more time for recovery, if that's the right term for it, because they yeah, have I mean, four football games in one week. And I think <laughs> it, it, and it really at the end of the day, it, it, in that specific, and you know, I never know exactly what exactly situation. Again, I don't want to like upset whoever's if oh, you're listening. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, they're, they're incredible at what they do, and I think. It showed because you might have seen, you know, some you might have seen logos underneath logos, or you might have seen hashes that weren't perfectly matched up to something else, whatever it was. But yeah, at the end of the day, the footing on those fields was exactly. always yes. really good. And, and that's the playability in those fields is what's really good. That's so, what I've always been a big proponent on. A lot of people are like aesthetics wise, like, oh, it didn't look great, but it doesn't matter right. if 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 the player safety is at a premium, you know yeah. what I mean? Um I mean, on a much lower scale at the soccer plex, you know, for the first couple of years, we tried to oversee our Bermuda grass fields and they looked terrible <laughs> and they didn't play all that well. Yeah. And then we just decided, well, what are we wasting our time and money and effort on? Like, let's get a stronger Bermuda grass surface and just we'll have it. We'll play straw brown. Yeah. And they'll play on the dormant fields. And we had multiple times like our first tournaments of the year where we had Bermuda grass fields next to bluegrass fields. And, you know, the bluegrass fields that in mid to late March in Maryland are striped up and Looking glowing. Right. right. And they're sitting next to this field and we have players and stuff walk down and oh, we got to play there? on this field. Like, oh, this thing's, <laughs> the thing's dead. Why are we playing on this? Yeah. And then when they come off, they're like, that's the best field we've ever played. On. Yeah. Because it's, those are it's, always the good times. Yeah. It might be brown, but it's still going to, it's going to hold up and the footing's going to be good. And that's what's important. At the yeah. End of the day. For sure. Yeah. And it's also nice to just spray some around. <laughs> Yep. Nobody knows about that little yeah. trick. You know? Yeah, and for us, we use a lot of like pre-emergent stuff going. Yeah, the yeah, wall yeah. To kind of keep it clean. So it, yeah, that's always good. Yep, because that's one thing we do struggle with at Brentsville is when we don't oversee. We have those times where it's like, oh shoot, like yep. <laughs> we got to spray again. There we go. Yep. <laughs> but uh, uh, obviously, again, you got incredible stuff going on here. Um, we sort of wrap up a podcast with these two questions, and I'm always this. Is, my favorite questions to ask because it's always awesome to see where different parts from different careers, you know, mm-hmm. um, if there was something you wish you knew, it doesn't need to be like the betterment of your career, make it easier or anything like that. If there is something that you wish you knew going into the turf industry, what would that one thing be and why? That's a tough one. Um, I think if there was one thing, if there was one thing I knew, uh, not necessarily in the turf industry. If there was one thing I knew was probably been, I wish I would have known I was going to get that call about this job before I closed. Because ah. <laughs> <laughs> that was a little difficult, but I think um, I, I would say it, it's one thing that I, that I was told and Weston Applefeller from Austin, he, he gave me some of the best advice I ever got um, when I was, trying to decide whether I wanted to go to Maryland or stay up here. And, you know, I'd never, you know, I've, I've 
been outside of New England. I've traveled and, and done whatever, but I'd never mm-hmm. lived outside. Never taken the leap. Of, right. Yeah. And so I'd never been to the state of Maryland before. And yeah. I, I was getting ready to pack up my Jetta and drive down there and just live there and, and figure it out. And, and he told me, you know, he, I called him and he said, listen, if you, if you are excited about the job and it's something you want to try, just go for it. Like, yeah. don't, don't hold yourself back because you're afraid of the unknown. Don't be afraid to try something different. Don't be afraid to go somewhere else and, and expand your horizons. And that's the greatest thing I ever did was make that move down there. Cause I, I learned so much when I was at the soccer plex from Jared, I learned so much about different types of grass and, and the massive event load that we had down there and how to, you know, how to keep fields in <clears throat> good condition under high traffic and, you know, it, had I not taken that leap, I have no idea where I am today. But yeah. so I owe a lot of that to, to Weston. He's, he's we still remain good friends to this day, and hopefully he he'll buy me a beer for all the nice <laughs> things. I'm about him but, but yeah, Shout out Weston! All right, yeah, <laughs> let's get what kind of beer are we going with. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see if I can get down to Austin. I know they got a lot of good stuff. There. Yeah, Austin's going crazy. Yeah, it's crazy how much it's grown. Yeah. So like, I don't know. I think that was kind of a cop out on the question, but I'm no, gonna, no, no. I'm it was not. No, it was great. <laughs> yeah. uh, that's I. It's funny because a lot of people that are successful and in positions like yours, where again they make sort of that big leap somewhere that's out of their comfort zone. We talked Daniel Zito, I'll bring him back up. He has been 17 different places, oh, yeah. you know, like yeah. literally all over the place. I'm like, you're insane. Like, yeah. <laughs> I couldn't have done that. Yeah. I couldn't have been like, hey, I'm going to go to California. Nah, I'm going to go here. Nah, yeah. here. Yep. <laughs> like, He's met so many people and people like Weston and you having those relationships. And that's what's so incredible about this industry is yeah. everyone who knows and has really good relationships with people. It's just endless, the opportunity that you have. Yep. Um, but the people that push themselves out of their comfort zone end up in a position like this, you right. know, and I think that's incredible and it's hard to do, Yeah. you know, so absolutely uh, it's an incredible answer it's not a cop out okay I'll take hopefully that. let me know if you get the beer you know that'd be yeah, great I will, I will. um <laughs> weston i'd like one too yeah. uh, <laughs> the last question that we ask is um obviously like you said before and thank you again for the kind words about the program we have kids who are looking to enter the industry who are curious maybe even hesitant. Uh, one of the, we were talking about Julie or before she was hesitant. Uh, I remember sitting down with her. She's like, do you really think I could do this? I was like, Julie, you literally work your ass off more than half these kids and you do a phenomenal job. Mm-hmm. And this is in our program at the time. I was like, if you're willing to put forth the effort, I guarantee you'll be a head groundskeeper somewhere within 10 years. Yep. And this is when she was 18. So right. like, um, what would be your best words of advice for those kids that are looking to sort of make that leap and sort of enter the industry? Uh, I would say jump in two feet forward. Just if, if you think that you, it's something that you might be interested in, or if you've enjoyed the work in your time at Brentsville and working on the fields or, or wherever it is, go for it because you're only, you can only take that leap once or at, at a certain age, you know, you get to, if I was coming out at 36 and almost 37, I can't believe I'm saying that, but if I was coming <laughs> still out young, now, still young, still yeah, young, I, I, I don't have the ability to just like, you know, take a leap of faith somewhere and, and try something new. Yeah. You know, you're never going to know whether or not it's like your true passion, unless you jump into it and give it, you give it your full effort. And that's, that's the key is if you're going to go for it, go for it, you know, completely commit to it, work your butt off, 
put the effort in because that's, you know, the, the time that you put in when you first get into this industry and learning as much as you possibly can, it, that's when it really pays off down the road. Um, cause the experiences that you have, you, you may not realize it, but there, there might be some random thing that you get assigned to do, or, or you, you take on a small project when you're 19, 20 years old and you don't think about it again until you're 30, 32, whatever. And then something comes up at your new job as you're, if you're a head groundskeeper and you say, Oh yeah, we did that back in the day. And then, like, I never would have done that had I not just jumped in and, and tried everything. So, yeah, yeah that's, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, this has been incredible. Thank you so much for having us. Uh, Thanks for coming. The facilities are incredible. Uh, if you that. guys are ever at a Patriots game, make sure you take a peek over the left side towards the practice facility. It's incredible to see. Yeah. You um, can see it from the 200 level or 300 level or wherever you're at. And if you're at a game, Take a look at the Southeast Visitors Tunnel. I'll be down there with my dog, Boyd. And I was going to say, I forgot to hi. mention Boyd. Is I know Boyd here? The, the one day of the week he's not here. Oh, week, so. Boyd. <laughs> I was like, I was like, I really want to meet Boyd. I Hopefully he's there. Yeah. No, no, for sure. How, what was the, I was going to ask you, what, how's it been sort of with everything? You know, having a dog on site has got to be incredible. I, I mean, I, I think I've got to imagine people probably get sick of hearing about him and, and see him or whatever, but like, so I, we got Boyd when I was at the soccer plex and they, they'd had a goose dog there for the first 10 years. The complex was open. Dave was the name of the dog. Yeah. And he was awesome. And when I got there, he was, he was kind of getting at the end the of old, his life. Yeah. And, um, two years went by after he passed away and there were geese everywhere. I mean, it was incredible. It was a need. <laughs> yeah. And so we, we rescued Boyd out of a, a place in West Virginia and, um, got him at eight weeks and it was funny the first time I brought, it was like the first day, I mean, eight weeks he was at work with me Yeah, and that's awesome. like two weeks. So he's 10 weeks old or whatever. We go down there's geese on the field. It's like, Oh, here we go. This is going to be great. <laughs> and I was like, boy, go get him. And he runs and that goose flapped his wings and he couldn't have turned around and ran back to me. <laughs> faster than he tried he was terrified boy like, it's okay like, oh man we made a mistake <laughs> we should have gotten the full one whatever yeah and then you know a couple of weeks later we did it again and that something clicked in his head yeah yeah, yeah. so when you know, i had him for four or five probably five years while i was at soccerplex uh -huh. and um when i was interviewing up here i you know i talked to them and kind of explained you know, he's, he's with me every day and he, he does serve a purpose and there's geese here all the time too. Yeah. Um, that's something they've had an issue with. I said, well, we'll, he'll provide a service, but you know, he's, he's kind of, it's kind of a package deal. Like I can't, he's yeah, living 24 hours there. a day yeah. for six years. I can't just leave him. And then the executive director at the time when I left Trish and, and Matt, after he took over, you know, they both said, you know, we, we can't for, you know, it was the soccer plexus dog. I mean, they, yeah. They trained him, they paid for it, and I, I took care of them. And they were generous enough to, you know, let us stay together when we came up here. And so he's kind of taken on a life of his own up here. I mean, yeah. it, when I show up uh, to work without him, it's yeah. always like, it's never, oh, hey, Ryan, how's it going? It's, it's always, where's, where's boy? <laughs> <laughs> so, but he's, he's great. He loves it here. That's awesome. Well, like I said, we are, our area to stand during games is down in the south, southeast corner. And I mean, 60,000 people muskets going off third down lighthouse foghorn going off and he'll just be passed out on the on the warning track <laughs> Boyd, sleeping champion, through it all, so. champion of it all yeah, you know so, <laughs> you, and, wish, you wish you had that yeah, ability right yeah, sometimes oh, <laughs> so badly. Yeah. yeah he to to be able to have him here and you know we talk about the grind and and how 
how tough it can be. I'm sure it's uplifting for yeah. everybody. Yep. Just yeah. having them around, having them. It's a, it's a morale booster for the guys. I think, I hope. And you know, for <laughs> me, it, it definitely is. And, yes. and just to, to take a couple of minutes and hang out with him because nothing bothers him. You know what I mean? It's just, don't you wish we could live like a dog sometimes? Oh, just we're, like we're so lucky to have them. Yeah, so. for sure. Yeah, yep. yeah. Mine right here. My sister sent me this yesterday. Oh, he's awesome. Well, her name's Wrigley. Yeah, <laughs> oh, she's beautiful. We wanna we wanna take her to school. Yeah, we're working on seeing if we can get like emotional support thing. Yeah, where it's really really more geese related. Right. Which she's definitely the one that would run away from the geese. <laughs> yeah, but they don't know that. They don't so. know that exactly. <laughs> As long as they keep not knowing that, that's all that matters. Yeah, for yeah. sure. And again, I want to thank you again for everything in the hospitality. This has been absolutely incredible. Oh, um, thanks for coming up. Thanks for all that you guys do. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Send us send us some interns. We're working on it. We're working <laughs> on it. I've got a kid who might be somebody that would be a good option. So perfect. All right. Sounds good. Thanks a lot.